0: Lord is so good amen Amen. why don't you just greet somebody next to you and tell them the Lord is so good he's come to bless us this morning Jesus holy name we're thankful for his presence and for his goodness and for his mercies God is good We give the Lord a hand, praise right now, and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated just for a few moments here. Um, I want to welcome the Gonzalez family here this morning. They are coming to congregate at our church from the Church of Lennox, California. Brothers Gonzalez, would you stand where you're at, Brother Gonzalez, and your family, if your children are here, we can have, let's give them a, a round of applause. Amen. Yeah. God bless you, brothers. You may be seated. It is so good to have the Gonzalez family coming to congregate with us in our church. Brother Gonzalez is a minister of the lord i know that i think they presented them last week if i'm not mistaken um, in the spanish service and well it's we're glad to have you come to our church congregate with us and we're sure that you're going to be a blessing to our church and we're hoping that our church will be a blessing to you all so god bless you and welcome to our church amen and for all of our visiting friends that are here this morning we're thankful to the lord for your being here it's always a blessing to be in the house of the lord Amen. God is good. That's that's what we say every morning. God is good. And he has been good to us. We thank God for the worship and the praise and the musicians and the singers and all of our gathering together today just to exalt the name of Christ. Amen. God is good. Praise God. Open your Bibles with me, please. And uh, we're going to read Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, if you'll all stand, just to honor the reading of the word of the Lord. We think God's word is holy. And that's why we stand when we read it. I mean, you don't have to stand all the time. You can be sitting at Starbucks and read the Bible. You don't have to stand when you read it. But when we read it publicly, we stand just to say we honor the word of the Lord. And so um, we thank God for for the word of God. It's life to us is what it is. You guys ever notice that when you don't know, come to church for two or three weeks, it kind of gets kind of you start feeling kind of like a little, little distant, kind of like something's missing. Anybody ever feel that? I feel that. Amen. Even when I go on vacation, I feel a little weird. I have to take my family to church on vacation because if we don't, I feel like I'm backsliding, you know. <laughs> well, that's not true, but but it's just not the same. You know why? Because when we um, gather together as the people of God and we worship the name of the Lord and in this gathering together there's a building up of the body of Jesus Christ and we just kind of connect to the Lord and we receive the word and the word strengthens us and we see our brothers and we're able to receive their encouragement and their fellowship and it's just such a blessing so Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 it's a very common text It says this, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Now go down to verse 14 with me, if you would. Verse 14 is Peter trying to explain this phenomena that's taking place. He says this, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them. Now verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass that in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour on those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, verse 19 is not something that we've seen yet. It is yet to be fulfilled, but the inhabitants of the earth will see it. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so just in form of explanation, verses 9, through 2, verse 20, those two verses are talking about future events that have not yet taken place, but are going to take place. It's what's called the last days. And the outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh, Is something that began on the day of Pentecost. And so, just the way it's all of the cataclysmic events that are described in the book of Revelations are going to be inescapable for all of mankind. Just the way everyone is going to be aware, cognizant, and many experience those terrible events. The Holy Spirit's presence in the world prior to that taking place is also going to be a worldwide phenomenon that is going to affect the entire world and we're living in that day today where the spirit of God has gone and covered and touched every nation of the world and we're still seeing that great outpouring of the holy spirit today so let's pray and we will read we'll um we'll thank God for the word of the lord thank you for the reading of the word and Thank you for the gathering together of your saints, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would all be encouraged as we read the word and as we receive it with faithful hearts in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says amen. May be seated. God bless you and thank you. We're ending our, we're in our second week of our, of our fast, be ending next Sunday. If any of you have not joined our, our three-week fast, I'm encouraging you to at least join this last week. That'll be great. Um, uh, life is what life is. So um, this last week of, of uh, fasting and prayer, if we could all join together, that would be like amazing, and uh, it would be certainly a blessing to all of us. Um, I do want to announce one new uh, thing that we're going to be doing here, and it has to do with Fasting. Starting with the month of March for a full year all the way until February of next year, we're going to begin a uh, a fast and uh, for a whole year, but not every day, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to um, choose a, a fast uh, a per member. Every one of us is going to choose. We're going to have a sign-up sheet, in fact, outside after service is over, and you're going to be able to sign up for that fast. And it's going to be one day of the week. That we're gonna that you're gonna sign up for, and uh, what we're gonna do is all of the month of March, starting in March, we're gonna the whole church is gonna be fasting and praying for the gifts of the 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 fruit of the Spirit. We're gonna start off with the Spirit of uh, rather the fruit of love, and the whole church is gonna be praying that our church would feel an an outpouring of the love of God, and that people in our church, as they come to our congregation, will feel the love of God, and then in the month of uh, April, we're going to be praying for joy and fasting for joy, and then successively throughout uh, the next 12 months, we're going to be praying that God would just fill this church with the fruit of the Spirit, amen? amen. Um, as we are going to be talking about next week, just for a, 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 during that sermon, uh, we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit of God, which is one of the evidences that we are a Pentecostal Christian church. And, um, and so we're going to be asking you, after service is over, there's going to be Sister, um, geez, her name just escaped me. Someone's going to be outside. They're going to be taking names. If you'd want to join on that in that uh, fast, you just have one day of the week, of the month, that you'll be fasting, joining the church and fasting. We're going to have three people of English and Spanish congregation fasting at the same time so that we'll, we'll just, you know, um, present ourselves before the Lord. I think we're going to experience the move of the Lord. amen amen Amen. well two weeks ago i said that there are three markers for being filled with the spirit for a church or a christian that is filled with the spirit if you want to know what a spirit-filled christian is let me give you at least three three things number one a a spirit-filled christian is is a christian that has experienced the baptism of the holy spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues that's what we've just read in acts chapter two and it is a normative experience in the New Testament apostolic church book of Acts. The second way that you can know that you're a, Christ, a spirit-filled Christian is that not just you speak in another tongue when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but secondly, you produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and that means that God begins to change your character. He begins to fill your heart with love, love being the greatest evidence of, of the presence of God in your life, there'll never be a greater one than that. Speaking in tongues doesn't even come close to the um, to the evidence of, of the love of God in your heart and in your life. Um, so we're gonna the second evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is is um, is having the fruit of the Spirit of Christ in your in your life. In other words, you become more Christ like. That's what having the fruit of the Spirit is. You become more like Jesus. And then the third uh, um, uh, evidence or marker that we are spirit-filled cr- church and Christian is that you're working in the spiritual gifts. And that means the gifts of the Spirit of the Lord. For some of you, it might be the gift of administration. For others of you, it might be the gift of, of tongues or interpretation of tongues. For others of you, it might be uh, the gift of leadership. For some of you, it may be the gift of miracles and and uh and healings there's just all kinds of different gifts that god has given to the church that we can we should be operating in they should all be working in their fullness in the in the church and that's how you know if a church is a spirit-filled church not just because he speak in tongues not just because um uh, of one thing or another but These are the three most important, I think, markers in the Bible that indicate that we are a spirit-filled Christian or a spirit-filled church. And so we'll be talking about those in the next couple of weeks, and maybe we'll see if it doesn't go into months. Um, In other words, what I'm saying is this, that a spirit-filled believer is one that receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. He produces in his life the fruit of the Holy Spirit— which is love, joy, patience, and all those other good fruit that the Spirit produces. And then he is working in the gifts of the Spirit that God has given to him. You're, you're in a place in the church where you're using the talents that God has given to you to build up the body of Jesus. And that's essentially what a Spirit-filled church or a Spirit-filled Christian is. Now, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend some time on the question, should speaking in tongues be normative a normative or a normal experience for one that receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And although that is going to be part of my emphasis today, the real point, the main point of the message is going to be this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all people at all times. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that just the New Testament church experienced, or that a number of different groups experienced during the New Testament times, but rather, the infilling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every one of us that are believers in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So two weeks ago, what we looked at, and I'll go through this real quickly here, is that John the Baptist, as well as Jesus Christ, both of them emphasized, in fact, taught his disciples, taught their disciples and the people that listened to them, that people would be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Here are the words of John the Baptist. I indeed baptize you with water, but he, talking of Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And there's a huge difference between the normative baptism of water, which is what men do, and the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is what God does. God was saying, you guys have been baptizing for thousands of years with water, but something different is coming. This baptism is not going to be with water it's going to be with the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be evidenced by speaking in an, in an unknown language, which is a miraculous sign. Jesus said the same thing. In John chapter 7, I'll read verses 38 and 39. He said this. He that believes on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. But this speak he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive... the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, there's a lot to be said there, but I think that the main point for this moment moment is this, that Jesus said that after he was glorified, the church was going to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus said this, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name Mark 16, verse 17. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. So again, what we see in the uh, scriptures is that there is this emphasis on this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And here for the first time, Jesus mentioned that the believers were going to be experiencing speaking in another tongue. Now, that scripture doesn't say whether everyone was going to experience speaking in tongues or just a few were going to. That's not the purpose of the text. The purpose of the text is to say that characteristic of believers was going to be that they were going to speak in a new language. Or we can call it, as Jack Hayford does, a spiritual language. The fourth thing that I would tell you just in form of introduction this morning before I get into the, the core of the message is this, that after the resurrection again, Jesus commanded his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait. In fact, he was very emphatic about this. He says, don't just go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't leave. Don't you leave um, that, that city until this experience has, uh, until you've experienced the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus said. And being assembled together with them, the disciples, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Let me just stop here for a second and say this. It's okay to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a good thing to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say this? That sometimes, guys, even like in prayer, like we just got done praying a few moments ago, beautiful presence of the Lord, Spirit of God was here. And then we pray, and we kind of like pray, and then we just kind of like settle down in our prayer. Sometimes we just have to persist and wait in prayer. Sometimes you just have to keep worshiping the Lord and keep pursuing the presence of God until there's a greater manifestation of the presence of God. We're going to have to learn to wait. Everyone say wait in the presence of the Lord until something greater happens. So for 10 days... The disciples waited. Jesus said, you guys go and you wait until the promise of the Father is given. Now, here's the reason you wait. Which ye have heard of me. That's the reason we can wait. Now, if I tell you to go wait for something and I get beyond the hour, you know, you better start thinking about is pastor coming or is he not coming? And if he doesn't get there within an hour, you go home. All right, don't don't wait any longer and you can text and say, Pastor, I waited, you were late, I didn't get there. But when, when Jesus says, wait, just wait, just, just wait. Don't go nowhere, don't do nothing. He might be nine days late on your calendar, but you better wait on the 10th day. Because God is going to do something if you'll just wait on him. And that's, and that's what happened. That's what happened on that day. They, they were just waiting on the Lord. We're just waiting on Christ, and, and, uh, and then the Bible says, again, the reason to wait is because the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, for those of you that are, verse 4, for those of you that are following me in the scriptures, and I, I just have to tell you this, that every time that I, that I give a text and I see somebody shift running through their Bible, it fills my heart with joy. So thank you all for doing it. I mean, even if you're clicking on your phone, I realize that things have gone that strange way in this generation, but if you're flipping through your Bible, it's like, okay, you're, you're making pastor really happy. It's, it's, a, it's a great thing to see. You should bring your Bibles to church, just in parentheses, and I'm sorry that I, I, I kind of got out of my subject here, but bring your Bibles, not just your iPhones, to church. All right, that was, that was pretty weak, but I'm going to let you guys get away with that. All right, look at verse 5 here. Jesus, We wait for Jesus, which saith he, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John, verse 5, truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So Jesus said it was going to happen. That means it's definitely going to happen. And he said it was going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So whatever that was going to be, it was going to take place. And so they waited. That's what precedes this Acts chapter two event. The fact that Jesus has said it's gonna happen. So for those of you that are waiting right now, Jesus said it's gonna take place. All right. I know you've been waiting a while, but hey, listen, Jesus said it's gonna happen. And if you believe him, you will be filled. And for those of you that have kind of like been filled and you've kind of like it's been a while. Okay, Jesus said it's going to happen. You will be filled again. Come on, somebody just say amen to me right now. Speak to the pastor and say amen. (laughs) You're going to be filled again. Those of you that are feeling disconnected from God, far from the Lord, hey, listen, just pursue God. Wait on Him. You will be filled again. If you've got a desire in your heart to seek the Lord, that's from the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't ever let the devil think it's the flesh, it's not the flesh, it's not the devil, it's not anything else. If you're feeling a little tug in your heart just to to look for God, just to pursue God, just to follow him again, I want you to know that that's a working of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's God calling you to that experience again. Somebody give the Lord a hand, praise for that (laughs) persistent work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Um, so so let's look at Acts chapter 2 just for a few moments because it's such an important text. And I'll ask you all if you have your Bibles to open up. If not, open up your iPads and your phones and everything else. But let's look at the scripture. I know we have it up here. But look at, look at your, your, your Bibles for a second. Here's how the Bible describes the fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen. And this is called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Right. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, as I explained last week, you know, God's got his times. It'll come. They were all with one accord in one place. Unity is absolutely important. We all have to be of one mind, guys, if we're going to see a greater move of the Holy Ghost. And suddenly, everyone say suddenly. Suddenly. Don't know when it's going to happen. God chooses it. He's sovereign. We don't get to choose. We can pray and fast and look for God and everything else. But he's going to choose the moment when it's going to start to happen. It's just going to take place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothe them tongues like a fire and set upon each of them. Verses 2 and verse 3 are extraordinary signs that happened the first time that, that, uh, that the spirit of God was poured out. Listen to this now. I was talking to a gentleman last week, in fact, when I was in Mexico, and uh, he was telling me that he's struggling with these texts to believe that um, that uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is normative for the church. And he thought that uh, Corinthians uh, 14 and other scriptures teach that it's not. And, of course, we had that discussion for a couple of hours. And um, and uh, one of the things that he mentioned was that, that he thought that That Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 was an exception to the rule. And of course, you know, that's a terrible argument, I told him. I didn't tell him that way. I'm telling you guys, but I told him that's not a good argument. I said, because this is the first instance. And the first instance establishes the norm. Just like the first man, the first woman, the first fall, the first sin, the first marriage, the first everything in the book of Genesis chapter one through eleven, absolutely crucial books because every experience and every doctrine that you will find in the Bible are found right there in the book of in the book of Genesis verses one through verse eleven. The first instances. And so this is the first instance where God is pouring out his spirit upon the church. Now what we are gonna see that are like introductory signs, in other words they're gonna happen once and never again Uh, are going to be the wind and the fire. But the tongues that this gentleman was confusing said, this is also an introductory sign. And I said, no, it's not. And the reason it's not is because it's repeated in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 11. It's repeated over and over and over. What we never see again is is the sign of the sound of a rushing mighty wind and what we never see again is a sign of the cloven tongues of fire that, is, that are upon the heads of everyone that is there. Those are the one-time introductory signs, but the tongues are a persistent sign. This is the sign that people have received a supernatural gift or a, a baptism from the Holy Spirit. And so again, verses 2 and verse 3 explain that extraordinary one-time phenomenon. Now look at verse number 4, because this is going to explain to us a normative sign. It's supernatural. It's extraordinary. But it's a normative sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 4 says, read it with me out loud if you would. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost... And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what is this other tongues? It means simply you're Mexican, you speak Spanish, and um, you don't know any other language. When you receive this infilling of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna speak a language that you don't understand. That's what it means. You might speak Greek, you might speak a heavenly language, it might be an ancient language. It, you just don't know, you don't get to choose. But to you, it sounds weird because you're saying stuff that you don't understand. That's another language. And you say, Well, I want to know if I'm speaking English or Greek or if I'm speaking Aramaic, or you don't get that choice. Although, it's interesting. If you'll read with me Acts chapter 2, this is not going to come up on the screen, but if you'll look at me, verse number 5, here's what the Bible says. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, these are religious people, out of every nation under heaven. Now when it was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. And so what happens here is an extraordinary thing. There are people from every land, from from all of the continents, except for maybe these continents here, Central and South America, but all of Asia, Asia Minor, Africa, all of those continents. There were people that were religious Jews that were gathered together in in uh, in that event of Pentecost. That's what they did. And it was God's intention. Why is God waiting 10 days? God's purposeful in everything he does. Yeah. Had they uh, gotten to speaking in tongues a month before? Or had they gotten to speaking in tongues a couple of days before? Not all of the crowd may have been there at the level that they were. God is purposeful in everything that he does. But when these people start speaking in this unknown languages, every one of them are speaking in different languages, it can be interpreted like, man, these people are crazy. Like what's wrong with these individuals just kind of going off? And, and it's been called that. Pentecost has been called gibberish for many for two thousand years now by the critics of of of, of the of, of Pentecostalism or of the Pentecostal experience. It's gibberish. It's just articulation of nonsense. It, it's it's unintelligible speech, and uh, it's emotional. It's emotive. There's so many criticisms that are made of speaking in other tongues. But on this occasion, God gathered people from every nation of every land to certify this. This tongue talking is genuine. There's no tongues and in interpretation of tongues. The gift of interpretation is not working. It's just a bunch of people gathered to say, hey, that guy's speaking Greek, and that guy's speaking whatever other language there was. And everyone was saying, wait, 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 wait. how are these Jews that are jerusalem jews speaking our languages and it was god just kind of affirming this is a miracle Amen. this is not anything that's ordinary these people aren't just talking gibberish and and unintelligible speech this is something from god in fact that's what happens isn't it look at what the bible says in verse number seven and they were amazed and marveled saying to one another behold Are not all these that speak Galilean? In other words, they really know how to speak is is Hebrew. And how hear we, every man in our own language, wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, of Phrygia, or or Pergama, Pamphylia, Egypt. And all of the parts of Libya and serene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. In other words, there's all kinds of people here and everyone is hearing someone at least speak, glorify God in our language. How is this possible? Well, it wasn't humanly possible, was it? It was an extraordinary supernatural event. It was God saying, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And so, listen, we are unashamedly Pentecostal. We believe that this experience is still for the church today. We believe that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a believer, you get baptized, you believe in the Lord. In fact, let me just stop here for a second. Because God chooses when you get the Holy Spirit. I will tell you this, you you cannot get the Holy Spirit unless you believe the gospel. You may not even have heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you can get it, but you got to believe the gospel. No one that doesn't believe the gospel can receive this baptism, this gift, this blessing. But if you have believed the gospel of Jesus, you can receive it instantly right then before you get baptized, or you can receive it after you get baptized. You know what it's God saying? It's God saying, you're mine. You're mine. I choose you. And uh, and so there's this 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 tremendous, this tremendous um, uh, outpouring that is going out here of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this chapter. Now, I want you to understand again that it, it's so important for us to to get our heads around the fact that what's going on here again is a supernatural thing. And you say, well, I don't understand it. Well, we don't have to understand it. The things of God are sometimes uh, complicated and and sometimes they're kind of, um, they're, they're supernatural and they're beyond our ability to understand or even maybe to reason why. But the reality is this, that, that that God chooses to do certain things a certain way and we may not understand it all. That's okay. The reality is this, as long as the experience is genuine and it's coming from God, then it's going to be an okay experience anyone want to say amen to that so what I want you to see then in this in this um, in this book of Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is that something really really important is happening here how important it's so important that Jesus says listen guys to his disciples I don't want you to leave Jerusalem until this happens don't go anywhere until this happens in fact If you read in Acts chapter, in fact, let me just say this. The reason that that's so important because it marks the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Pentecost is considered by Christians almost without exception as a primary essential event in the history of the church. In other words, this is so crucial, so important. There's almost no debate amongst Christianity that this infilling of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, was primary and essential. Without it, Christianity is not going to work right. Without this baptism of the Holy Spirit, as essential as the as the in, as the resurrection of Jesus, as essential as the as the death of Jesus on the cross, is the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon believers. Christianity doesn't work without the cross. Christianity doesn't work without the resurrection, and Christianity does not work without the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I know those are big statements. Well, at least the last one I think is a big statement, but I think it's a true statement. Because it marked the presence of Christ with the church again. The infilling of the Holy Spirit says, Jesus isn't just a figure of the past that's now in heaven. The infilling of the Holy Spirit says this, Jesus Christ is a figure of the past that died for our sins and that rose from the dead and that now dwells in every believer, in everyone that is chosen to follow him. And that's a monumentally important statement and it's a monumentally important truth. The church, without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you and I as believers, without the infilling of the Holy Spirit, are not going to work and function precisely as God desires us to function. That's why don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. Everyone say, wait. They okay, Come on, guys. we got to become experts at just waiting on God. Let's just wait on the Lord. And let's just see what God is going to do. Everyone shout out to the pastor. Say, wait. wait. Let's just wait on the Lord. When are we going to do it? Every service. Let me say it this way. Every service is a waiting service. We don't just kind of run through our stuff. Every service is a waiting on the Lord service. It's a pursuing the presence of God service. It's on a wait. Let's wait and see what God is going to do. During this service, it's, I'm not quite done worshiping and, and, and coming before your presence and praying and, and pursuing you yet, Lord. I'm, I'm waiting on a manifestation of the Lord. It's a, I've, I've praised and I've heard the word and I'm now at the altar and I'm still waiting, Lord. It's a, it's a waiting experience. And you know what God does? When we wait on him, he manifests his presence in greater and greater dimensions. Now, the disciples had experienced the cross. They had experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but there was something more. And in order to get the something more, they needed to wait on God. So what do you say, folks? Shall we wait every service? Let's just wait on the Lord and see what the Lord is going to do. Now, Pentecost is huge because Pentecost marks the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. The events of Pentecost served... As the evidence of the presence of Christ in the midst of the church and the fulfillment of everything that the prophets had said would happen in the Old Testament. Even the fulfillment of the words that Jesus had said when he told his disciples, boys I'm leaving, I've got to go to heaven. I'm not going to be with you guys much longer. But I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I am going to send a comforter. And he is going to dwell with you. And he is never going to leave you. In fact, he says, I'm going to go to the Father, but I will come to you. And so Pentecost is important because it tells us Jesus is with the church. Your Pentecost is important because it tells you Jesus is dwelling in you in power and in grace and in authority. Oh, somebody give the Lord a hand praise right now. It was, it was Jesus that said to his disciples when he told them, I'm leaving, guys. I'm not going to be with you guys always. It was Jesus that said this, and I, John 14, 16 to 18. If you'll open your Bibles there, John 14, 16 to 18. Jesus says But I'm going to leave, boys, but I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, because it knows him not, neither, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now if you continue reading verses 14, 15 and 16 towards the end of chapter 16 of John, read them at home. What you're going to find is that Jesus is speaking in veiled language. In fact, he says it in the latter part of verse chapter 16 that he is speaking to them in in figures and in and in and in And in in metaphors, and he is speaking to them in this kind of like opaque language. When he talks about another comforter is going to come, and I'm going to go, but I'm going to send another comforter that's going to be with you guys for always. That veil kind of language is revealed in John chapter 14, verse 16, when he says this, verse 18, excuse me, he says, I will not leave you comfortless who's going to come. I will come to you. Say it with me. I will come to you. I want to know this morning, before we leave this service, who is with the church? And the answer is Jesus is with the church. I want to know who is in the believer. And the answer is Jesus is with the believer. Now, The disciples really got freaked out. Read John chapter 14, verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4. They really got freaked out when Jesus says, I'm going to leave. And they got sorrowful, and they got upset, and got brokenhearted. And Jesus said, hey, listen, boys, don't get brokenhearted, don't get upset. I'm with you now, but I'm going to be in you then. I'm walking by your side now, but I'm going to be inside of you now. Think of the benefits of the transformation of that relationship. I'm I'm going to be with you now, but there's moments when I'm not. But then I'm going to be with you and I'll never leave. Think about the benefit of not just having them be with you, but dwell inside of you. And then every good work and every manifestation of the power of God is not now outside of you. It's working through you to the world that needs the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a huge benefit to that. And so Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, I come. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you, I dwell inside of you. Number two, Pentecost men's believers were empowered. Everyone say power. Come on. You know what the problem is with a lot of Christianity today? It's weak Christianity. And even Pentecostalism and apostolic Pentecostalism, it's weak Christianity. We're filled with the Spirit of God, and some of us have given into sin. That's weak Christianity. Brother Raymond gave me a great quote yesterday, and I, I don't have my phone here. I might read it for you. I wasn't thinking about it till now. But he says True Christians aren't known because of their struggle with sin, because every one of us are struggling with sin. A true Christian, a, a, a person that says to be a Christian and is not, and I'm totally destroying the quote is a Christian that stops struggling with sin, he just lives with it. It's characteristic of Christians, it's distinctive of Christians to struggle against sin. That's what we do. But it's, it's uncharacteristic of, of Christians just to give in to sin. Well, listen, guys, we should be living not perfect lives, but victorious Christian lives. There should be no one here that says, I'm not worthy, I'm no good, I'm not going to make it, the devil's got me defeated. You are a son of God. You have been filled with the power of the presence of the Lord. You say, Pastor, but I'm struggling with sin. Of course you are. You're a Christian. You're supposed to struggle against sin. That's all of our stories. That's what we do. We fight against the sin that is in us. But don't you ever let the presence of sin in you, if you're fighting against it, become a tool in the hands of the enemy. The devil is a liar. We struggle against sin, but we are the children of God. And we have been empowered to continue that battle and to overcome the sin that there is in us through the power of the Holy Ghost. Say amen. I'm not a weak Christian. I am a good Christian. I live for the glory of God. I fight against sin. I fight against myself. I do the best I can to live for the glory of God. And if you're in that struggle, you're doing well, my brother. You might not be thinking of yourself the highest you can today. Well, come again to the grace of God. Confess your sins again to the Lord and continue the battle. But don't ever give in to your sin. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are to be strong in the faith. Say amen. We are to be strong in the faith. And so Jesus empowered believers. We're to be spirit-filled believers. We're to be Christians that are living a life that is victorious in Christ. Overall, and and let me just say this, that Pentecost is an empowering. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Everyone say power. You know for what? to dominate and to control and to lead yourself first and then to lead others. You cannot lead others to Jesus if you're not leading yourself well in Christ. And so the, the, the working of the Holy Spirit in us is so that we will be able to lead ourselves. We'll be able to be Christians and have control of our lives. Are living godly, God honoring lives. You take control of yourself, your attitude, your thoughts, your actions, your words. You dominate yourself. You allow the Spirit of God to do the work inside of you, to empower you to live that kind of life. You never give in to a lesser life than that. You live a strong, Christian, Spirit led life, one that is victorious over sin. You let the Spirit of God work in you, and once it has worked in you, then it moves out from there to the rest of the world, to your family, to your friends, to everything else. But you've got to let the Spirit of God, first of all, take control of your life, Feel you, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what the baptism of the Spirit of God, at least in part, was for, Right? It was the presence of Christ in us, and it was also divine empowering so that we wouldn't be weak. Any weak Christians in the house today? And by weak, I don't mean that you're going through something. You know, everybody goes through stuff, and sometimes we get weary on the way, and life gets tough, and, and God is going to be there for you, certainly. But I'm talking about our struggle against sin and ourselves sometimes talking about that battle that every one of us that are in this place including your pastor know our struggle against sin and our struggle against ourselves that battle we must be strong there we must be victorious there we must use the power of the Holy Spirit to be overcomers there there And when the Spirit of God works in us there, so that we are responsible, godly, loving Christians. When the Spirit of God works in us, then, then from that primary work of the Spirit, the Spirit of God just flows out to others. Don't go there before you let the Spirit of God do its work in you be on your face and seek the presence of God and get into the word of God and fast and and do whatever you must do in order to bring that that you into a place where the spirit of God is so influencing you that you're shedding the things that are that are an obstacle or a problem in your relationship with God you don't just flow with the With the currents of the world and whatever everybody else is doing, you're doing. You just want to be accepted and cool and want people to love you. You want to be okay with everyone else. Hey, brother, that's not how you struggle against sin. And that's not how you form Christian character. And that's not how you release the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You struggle and you put focus on yourself. I am going to become the man. You are going to become the woman of God that God wants you to be. And you're going to use the power of the word and the power of the spirit of God so that you're able to grow up in him. We, We struggle to become the children that God wants us to be. And so Pentecost is hugely important. I'm sure there's a lot of things that I could say about that, which I won't this morning. But Pentecost is absolutely crucial to what God is wanting to do in our local church and in our lives. We are unashamedly a Pentecostal church. We believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We think it is essential Let me say it again. Whether you believe it's salvific or whether you believe it's missional. And I believe it's missional. It's essential. You must get it. If you're going to live that kind of life and if you're going to be effective in the kingdom of God. If as a church we're going to reach our world. And if as a church we're going to be effective believers in Jesus Christ and fulfill the mission that he's given us. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. We've got to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Say amen. amen. Now go with me just to one more text, maybe two before I'm done. i got five more minutes and I'll be done here. Acts chapter 8, verses 15 to 18. First of all, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the first group, and again, the point is, I kind of got sidetracked there a little bit, but the point is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Say everyone. It's for all people. No matter who you are, what your title is, what your race is, what your language is. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is for who? For everyone. Everyone say everyone. Now, so it got poured out upon the Jews. And um, and uh, the Jewish people got an, out, an an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's great. And, of course, that was Perpetuated in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It wasn't just the 120 that got the baptism, it was the 120, and then every believer after that. That's what Peter says, because in Acts 2:38, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every every one of you, say every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall, who shall? Every one of you shall receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for who? For every one of you. That's what the Bible says. And so look at now Acts chapter eight, because what happens here is that this is a second people's group. First, there's the Jews, and then there's the Samaritans. The Samaritans is another group of people. They're not Jews. They're not Jews. They are not considered Jews, nor do they consider themselves Jews, but they are Samaritans and this is another people group that is going to be reached by the gospel and then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit look at verse number 15 and 18 who when they were come down talking about the apostles they'd already received the gospel they were already filled with joy they'd already been baptized who when they came down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost for as yet He had fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me stop here for a second. Let me just say this. If anybody ever tells you, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you get baptized, you have to say, okay, you need to visit Acts chapter 8. Somebody says, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you believe, you say, okay, wait a minute. You got to visit Acts chapter 8. Because Acts chapter 8 teaches us something that's really important. What it teaches us is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being baptized in Jesus' name. These believers were believing the gospel, filled with joy. You read the scriptures. They had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but they had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Read it again. Who when they were come down, that's the apostles, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet, he was not fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw... Read this with me, everyone together. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Saying, give me also this power that on whosoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And so what we have here is an experience. that's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens to the Samaritans after they had believed in the Lord Jesus, after that they had been baptized. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's an experience that is, that is separate from those two experiences that is absolutely important. You say, well, pastor, why are you emphasizing that? Because there's a lot of people in Christendom today that say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus. It's done. There's no need to go on and to look for any other baptism. There's no need to go on and look for any other experience. And we're saying, okay, your argument is not with Pentecostalism, it's with the Bible. Because the Bible here clearly teaches that for all of you that are pursuing the movement of the Holy Spirit, that there's yet another experience that God has for you. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. That's wonderful. You are a person that has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Great. All of that is essential. You cannot be saved without that. But I will tell you this. That beyond those things, there is also something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism that God gives. And that is what our heart should be pursuing after. This church should be following after. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting in verse 17 that the apostles lay their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And that Simon was able to see, verse number 18... He was able to see that when the apostles laid their hands, the Holy Spirit filled them. Well, what did he see? What he saw was that they burst forth speaking in other tongues and glorifying God. There was a visible manifestation. That's why it says see. There was a visible manifestation of these individuals receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so... It's interesting to me that these Samaritans um, are, are a people that were, that were rejected by the Jews. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. In fact, their history was old. Back when Rehoboam was a king, and he overtaxed the people many, many years before this time, and he overtaxed the nation of Israel after Solomon had left the throne. When Solomon's son Rehoboam just was harsh with the people, and he divided the kingdom into Israel and Judah northern and southern kingdoms each one of them had their king and what ended up happening eventually was that both kings both kingdoms rather the northern and the southern Israel and Judah repeatedly went into sin contrary uh, to the advice or the warnings of the prophets and uh, in 721 BC the northern kingdom which was um, which was uh, Israel which was Israel was taken away captives by the Assyrians and um, and the Assyrians took them away, to, and they were scattered and essentially lost. But there was a remnant that stayed there at that uh, place in Jerus in in uh, Samaria, which was their capital. And uh, what ended up happening was that they intermarried with the Assyrians that stayed in the land of Palestine, and they became this group of people that were. Samaritan and uh, Assyrian and also Jewish and so the Jewish people rejected them and uh, that happened over over maybe 150 200 years then in the year 586 before Christ the southern kingdom of Judah was taken away by the Babylonians and of course they're going to return seven years 70 years later but The city was destroyed. The the walls were destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Great devastation happened during that time. Now, it's interesting that after 70 years, when the nation of Judah is now going to get to return to their land, it's the Samaritans, their half-brothers, that are going to cause all kinds of trouble for the Jews, and that caused all kinds of enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. They could not see. There was a racism at a level that you can't even, like, if they'd be walking on this uh, side of the street, I'd go to the other side. I didn't even want to walk by them. That kind of racial barriers that exist amongst people, even in our day-to-day. You know, there's so much talk about, you know, white and black and Mexican and everything else. And even amongst our, 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 um, our Latino communities, there's um racism. You know, Argentinians think that they're better than than Chileans, and there's all this racism that happens even amongst ourselves. and we all bunch of, you know whatever. It's just natural to human nature to just divide up and to everybody think that they're better than everybody else. And that's what happened at a very profound level, so that when Nehemiah returns, To Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. It is Sambalat and a bunch of other individuals that are just, man, they're on them. They're wanting to stop the work. And so this animosity was built up between them. And there's other history. The 5th century, there's more history that happens before them that even makes the relationships even worse. And so by the time that Jesus is here, they cannot even see each other. The, the the Samaritans have created their own religion out of the out of the out of the Old Testament. They have taken the five books of Moses and invented their own laws and modified them so that now they've got their own way. And they say that it's in Samaria, in Mount Moriah, that the true worshippers are gonna worship God in the Jerusalem. The Jews say, no, it's in Jerusalem. That's where the true worshipers are. And, of course, we have John chapter 3 or 4. I don't remember exactly what Jesus said. It's neither here nor there. But these people couldn't see each other. And so, isn't it great that God doesn't care who you are? He doesn't care what your history is. He doesn't care how bad your religious ideas are. He doesn't care how confused you are spiritually. He's going to try to reach you. And he's saying this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit its for you. You have no clue. Maybe you don't want nothing to do with this. Maybe you've, you don't want even anything to do with God. Or maybe you've got a confused idea about what God is. Maybe you're like some of the brothers in our church that when they came to the, our church, they were totally confused regarding their relationship with God they mixed a bunch of different gods into their own man-made religion. This whole idea that I serve God and, and I, in my way and I believe in God in my way and my religion is a very private thing and this is just between me and God. is a, it's, not, it's not a God thing. Our faith should never be that kind of a faith. It, it gets corrupted in that context and yet these Samaritans that, that were so messed up Here's what Philip does. When persecution breaks out, he runs to where the Samaritans are. And when he gets to the Samaritans, he begins to preach to them Jesus because that's all they knew. Wherever they went, they preached Jesus. And when he begins to preach Jesus to them, man, they get so happy because what they have been living with is this, this, um, this, 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 this sorcerer that has, that has fooled them, that has deceived them. They've been living with this sorcerer that has made them think that the things of the devil are, are are good, and that and that the great power of God is not with with Jesus and with the things of the of the Bible, but rather with the occultic things. Not very different from our world today. Think about our Mexican culture, guys. Those of you that are Mexican or have any connection to them, think about La Santa and God. This is a life from the pit of hell. The holy death. La Santa Muerte. Think about hechicería and limpias and all the kind of nonsense that is moving around our, 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 our Hispanic, Mexican, Latino culture. It's moving throughout the world and coming into the United States. People are worshiping these things. Death itself. It's sacrilegious. It's an abomination before the presence of God. And yet... Our culture is being consumed or taken more and more by these things. And yet, here we are, the people of God. You know what we are? We're the answer to all the confusion that the world has. We've got the answer to all of the chaos that there is in the religious world and the minds of the people. That's what Philip came to. He came and he preached the gospel of Jesus. And when they heard the gospel... You know why people hate Christianity? Because they don't understand Christianity. It's not just that simple, but I'll just say it that way. You know why people hate your faith? Because they've heard so much junk from everybody that doesn't believe anything that we believe. Their interpretations and misinterpretations of our faith, they believe them. That's not who we are, and that's not what we believe. The reason they dislike our religion is because they don't know our religion. And not just our religion, but our Christ. It's not about a faith that's religious. It's about faith in a person that came to this world and gave himself for us. Okay, I'm done. Let's stand. Let's stand. It's about Jesus. And so Acts chapter 8 describes the Samaritans that received the gospel and then um, and then uh, Philip sends to call the apostles the apostles come down and they're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hey listen guys, I don't know where you find yourself in spiritually right now but I'll tell you an answer for you Just to invite Jesus into your heart. Amen. I've been talking a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and some of you may not still kind of get it right but but here's a really important thing you need Jesus you say well how do i get jesus pastor well, the way you get jesus is you just confess the truth you're a sinner you can't help yourself Amen. you need forgiveness i'm a sinner can't help myself, and I need forgiveness. Who's gonna forgive you your sins? Mama can't do it, she loves you, dad can't do it, he loves you. Pastor can't do it, he loves you. No one. The only one that can forgive your sins is the one that died on Calvary's cross after having lived a perfect life, a perfect man. And he paid the price for your sins. Jesus died to pay the price for my sins. That's the simple message of the gospel. Jesus paid the price for me. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to show he had power to give me life. It's great stuff. That's as simple as it is. You so say, well, what do I have to do? Just believe it with all your heart. You say, well, how do I do that? God's got to give you the gift. You either do or you don't. If in your heart there's this tugging, if in your heart you know that's true, and I want to invite you right now just to confess it with your mouth. I believe this, and I need you in my heart. So let's all bow our heads right now, right where you're at, as we end. Father, in the name of Jesus, there's people in this place that are needing a Savior. They're needing the forgiveness of their sins. They're needing a a life change. And you are the Savior. You died for our sins. You died that we might have life. Save us from our sins. Cleanse us and wash us and make us new. If you're needing a new start today, would you tell the Lord right now, Father, I need you to help me to start my life all over again today. And change me. Everyone say, I believe. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite those of you to come to the altar. This is the altar of the Lord. And if you want the Lord to touch you, you need an encounter with God. You've made a commitment to the Lord Jesus this morning. Whatever the situation may be, you come. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've never received it. Or maybe you received it, but you need an infilling again. Hey, guys, this is what the Lord's plan is. It's simple. You keep being filled. You say, well, I was there last week. You keep being filled. you so have already done that before. You just ask again. And you have the Lord fill you over and over and over again. And if you've never experienced that infilling, you come you say, Father, my heart is here. I am here. Would you fill me? And he'll do it. And if you've never given your life to Jesus and you've done that right now, you come to this altar and you tell the Lord, Lord, I'm here to tell you again that I surrender my life to you. And as the praise team ministers to us in the name of Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to come while they sing and just to present yourself in this altar. Stand, if you will. Come forward as far as you can so as many of us so fit. And those of you that are believers, you come to minister to somebody. Let's just seek the presence of the Lord for a little bit. Let's wait on the Lord. What do you say? Anybody want to come and wait on the Lord for a little while? Let's just come and let's wait on the Lord. Praise God. Would you come? Let this be a place where you long to come As we make a way Minister to somebody, folks. If you got the Holy Ghost, God's gonna work in your life. Why don't you come and share with?